And let's, I'm sorry, this morning, get, still, get, still working my way through that. Working my way through it. Let's, uh, this morning, let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, last week we read the passage, chapter 10, 17 through 31. Uh, I think we'll do it again. It holds our context and allows us to see how Jesus used a circumstance to again teach the disciples. Uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning now at verse 17. When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross, and follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, it is with a great deal of confidence that we are here today knowing that you, God, are sovereign above all, beyond all, and have loved us all. By sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take upon him what was necessary for us to gain freedom from the penalty of sin. While we can't understand all that's involved in what our Lord Jesus Christ went through, we do know, Father, that just as this man was described in a couple of words, this young, rich ruler that came to him with all kinds of pizzazz and charisma, all of a success story, and yet left saddened because he had many possessions. His God was not you, and yet it says Jesus loved him. Father, may we have that love as well for those that don't know Christ. But now these moments, we ask that you would refine us, encourage us, protect our minds and hearts, Father, as well. As we learn the truth, we enact it with your strength thanking you for what you'll accomplish. We'd ask as well, Father, that the Holy Spirit would totally and completely exclusively be our teacher today. 
we would be receptive, accomplishing and obeying what you desire for us to be and do. And these things we'll ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is uh, actually quite a, and it's not a story, it's not a parable, it is something that literally happened as Jesus was going through on the east side of the Jordan River on his way to Jerusalem. He was going through a land called Perea. And he's been approached on, this is a couple of times now, by interruptions, if you will. He was interrupted by the Pharisees who asked a question, what do you say about adultery? I'm sorry, what do you say about divorce? Sorry, uh, Jesus expounded upon it, and it was interesting that that moment of what's here, we're trying to literally get him beheaded. I mean, you're in Perea, who's the, who's the, uh, who's the authority is Herod Antipas. He had put uh, John the Baptist in prison, and ultimately, through course of events, had him beheaded. Now, the Pharisees weren't stupid. They say, hey, let's go to his land, let's go to that place, and let's ask him that question, because that's why John the Baptist was actually killed, was because he said, Herod, you have no right to your brother's wife. So they tried that. Uh, Jesus responded again with a question. What does it say in the beginning? What does the Bible say? Isn't that great? Uh, someone asked a question today that we maybe, it sounds you could get into deep water. It's not about us. It's not about what you think, not what I think, what anyone thinks. What does the Bible say? That's the source of truth. And he goes right back to the beginning. Well, we have another instance or another interruption. And they were traveling, walking uh, on their way to Jerusalem about to do, honestly, about the king's work that Jesus is going to be crucified in Jerusalem. But it's another session for lesson. This young rich ruler, and we described where we found that in the three Gospels, you'll find him in Matthew, this, this passage will be in Matthew chapter 19, Luke chapter 18, and we find it in Mark, which we've read in Mark chapter 10. All of those are about the same thing, about this rich young ruler that has come, and it, in this case, in Mark, you see that he ran and kneeled before Jesus, and he calls him good teacher. And Jesus responds immediately, uh, by saying, what do you mean by good? Uh, good is only describing God. There's no one else that could be good. That should have been an opening for this rich young We're not going to, we're going to go where really you aren't. But he didn't get it. Uh, so Jesus then declares the five, the latter five of the commandments, if you will, left, you know, but went to the meat of the relationships that we have with man, mankind. The first five are dealing with the relationship we have with God. He didn't even go there. He started with the easy stuff so to speak, tongue-in-cheek. And he responded by saying, oh, I've done all of that stuff. I've, I've done that from my youth. Really? Never missed one, ever. I find that hard to believe. But again, you see that for him, it was how it looked. It was an external type of a relationship. Jesus, we know from the Sermon on the Mount, was much deeper than that. He got into the attitudes behind the actions on a several occasions regarding adultery particularly, he said, if you've looked on a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. Whoa, right? And that's really, it's a hard attitude. It's about what really drives us. Uh, that's like we're, we're engaged. I don't know why this popped in my head, so I have to say it. Um, we're embroiled now within all kinds of things that destroy and hurt people, guns in particular. It's not a gun problem, people. Cain killed Abel without a gun. It's a heart and head problem. And the biggest problem we serve, that we have in this world today is sin. Not climate change. Not anything except sin. Sin is our enemy. It's actually what's causing this rich run. Let's come back to him for a moment. This guy was like a convert that would be unbelievable. He was smart. He was rich. 
He was young, and he was actually the ruler of a synagogue. He was religious. He had everything going for him. He would have made the top ten on any list anywhere. Talk about, and then coming before Jesus. Now, he didn't kneel in worship. We, we mentioned that last week. But he came with respect. He came to the right person with the right reason, for the right reason, for the right question. How do I get eternal life? Now, his view of eternal life is different than what he should have seen. it. He sought just for a continuation of what he had. That was a lot of good stuff. He just wanted to go on for eternally with that. So it was a quantity of time for him. Eternal life to a Christian or that one that is seeking salvation is literally, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. I mean, I can't wait to be before my Savior in heaven and just be there. Just be there in the absence of sin. All of those things that literally is cursed to this world, it will be an absence. You see, it's about that. It's not about you know, a, a limitless, a timelessness. It's, it's bigger than that. This young man just wanted an accessory package. He wanted everything he had without giving any of it up so that he could have it go on forever. That's literally what he was looking for. Now, it's also interesting. We find there's three different terms that seem to be equal. He asked how he could inter- inherit eternal, li- eternal life. Um, later on, Jesus says it's really hard for a rich person or a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then the disciples were just totally astonished. And they said, well, can anybody be saved? So literally you see salvation, kingdom of God, and the sense of eternal life all being looked at equally in the sense of where it is and what it's about. Well, what will Jesus do with this potentially fantastic convert? Can you imagine him being on God's side? Can you imagine how good this would be? We could put up a sign and this one got it. He's a new Christian if you will. He's a follower of Jesus. Well, we found out that really, the, literally the biggest problem that he had, which is literally the biggest problem with anyone else that does not have Jesus, is they worship someone or something else. Jesus said very clearly, and he said, since you've apparently, why go into arguing with him about the law that you say you've kept? Let's go one step further. And in fact, he said there's one step. He really will point out now that what the, what the inadequacy is. Mark chapter 10, and let's go back, and in verse 21. Then Jesus beholding me, he looked at him, and again it says he loved him. I, I, I want to stop there for a moment. Last week we didn't mention it. That's amazing to me. Here comes this one, and he already Jesus knows which way he's going to go. He knows the direction he's going to take, but he still loved him. That tells me a lot about, there's another, it, it just rings in my head. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. This is God's perspective. 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, verse 9. We'll actually start in verse 8. It holds the, the sense of the context. And this is written by, guess who? Uh, none other than Peter. Uh, the words of the Holy Spirit being prompted within him and his mind. And he says, but beloved, verse 8, chapter 3, 2 Peter. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Time it matters nothing to the Lord. We get caught up in our day-to-day things, and how come God didn't do that? It, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's outside of time. Now watch verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's going to keep His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Watch. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God, that's God at work. He wants all to come to repentance. Jesus Christ standing before this one that he knows is going to turn his back. He's not willing to go the route of what re- eternal life matters. And that is nothing else must be in first place except God. 
That's for us today, too. We could have been standing there just as well. We could have been running and knelt at Jesus' feet and asked, what do I do to get eternal life? And we can get caught up in the works part, but it's a good question. What do I have to do? What, what is it? What is the requirement? And Jesus says, well, basically, the law is what's going to show you you can't get it done by yourself. Now, that didn't even work with this young man. The law to him was something he could, he could accomplish on a high enough level so he was better than most. That's not good enough. But then, if it's not just acting as a mirror, literally, who are you worshiping today? Who are you worshiping today? That's the ultimate question. And you must trade that in, whatever that is in your life. And prior to Jesus Christ, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned initially, they traded God as the one they walked with in the garden, the one they worshiped, the one they were in tune with. They traded him in for self. And mankind has done that ever since. We've been locked into that sin nature, if you will. Now, this was very evident. The young man did not argue with Jesus. He did not, there was, there was no response other than he became very sad, turned, and left. Because he knew, because of his possessions, that his God was not God. Every time he went to church, to the synagogue, he literally was blaspheming God by worshiping him because it wasn't his God. This is a deep message, isn't it? I mean, it covers all of us, literally. To come to the conclusion that I have to choose between everything else, whatever that everything is, and the Lord Jesus Christ for several reasons. And now Jesus is going to use this as a teaching moment. He's going to draw these disciples into something that would be very contrary to what they believe. Because just like Job, remember Job? I mean, he had a rough, rough day. All of his family, his kids, they're killed. All of his stuff, camels, donkeys, cattle, you name it gone. Everything imaginable that would have been in the sense of possession or what I have, his balance, his balance statement was wiped out, gone, over with. And apparently he was okay with that. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's worshiping the right God. What do you think the rich young ruler would have done? He would have jumped off a tall building. That happens, doesn't it? Material possessions own people. <clears throat> but here's where it gets tricky, because this is where the disciples are. How rich are the disciples right now? If you were going to say, look at balance sheets from that rich young ruler, how would have they viewed him? Let's just take a step back, step into Peter's shoes or any one of the disciples. You're watching this encounter between the master, the one they followed, and this young rich ruler that's come and followed. They probably have heard of him. He said that he's a ruler, probably of a synagogue. He was a leader, very, very prominent. How would have they viewed him? He's pretty cool. Right? God's blessing him because literally, just remember those, those not-so-cool friends that Job had that came? They were okay when they didn't say anything, right? They were just there. for That's good. That's what friends do. They're there. But then when they started to speak, there was something that came out. Job, since God has taken this approach and you've received this stuff happening in your life, you obviously have done something wrong. <laughs> this is too clear for us, right? That's sold today. That's why prosperity gospels on the television sell so well, because God wants you rich and famous and healthy and wealthy and wise. Right? How am I doing? Uh, don't send money. <laughs> but see, it's this. Excuse me? Don't worry about the wise part. Yeah, don't worry. No, don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. But it's interesting. The disciples would have been fed that from a very young age. That was the system. This would have been seen as a top 
rich, religious, great person. And Jesus is going to blow that thing completely away. There's nothing left in it when he's done. It will be a skeleton without anything on it. Because he says this. After that rich man went away, he says it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it says they were astonished. It blew their minds. Totally blew their minds. In other words, those that were, were, had riches, they had stuff, they had all of this good life, literally they were seen as they were being blessed by God. That was how God showed that he loved them. And if something went wrong in Job's life, I'm going to go back to Job, then there's something that that person did wrong. God was cursing that. And now Jesus has said, whoa, rich equals religious equals eternal life. That's how the disciples would have saw it in their mind. Boom, 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 boom. It's simple. This is not hard. This is how it's laid out. And that isn't what Jesus wanted. In fact, there's the question, how hard is it for a rich man to get into heaven? He, did, he asks, answers that question. Uh, are you ready? <laughs> it would be easier for a camel, which is the largest animal that they would have had in Palestine right then, to go through the eye of a needle. Have you ever tried that? Have you thought about it? It, it would seem very difficult. Now, there's been many ways of kind of making that more possible, shall we say. There are those that said there's the needle gate somewhere in Jerusalem, and it was just really small, and you could cram a, go a camel through there. Well, no one's ever found that. And secondarily, why wouldn't you just go 50 feet down the road and go through the big gate? Why wouldn't you just, right? doesn't make no sense. And then there's actually, we've been so far, I don't want to go too far down this vein, but it's like if there's a way, if there's a, if there's, let's see, if there's a will, there's a way. And there's a part of that that really drives our society. You can do anything you want to do. You can do, be anything you want to be. You've not heard that, have you? This is fresh from... <laughs> Oh, no, it's everywhere. That's what we, that's, today, there's going to be graduation ceremonies. I'm not saying in Sheridan, but somewhere there will be one that will talk about that. Young people, it's a brand new world out there, and you can be anything you want to be. That's a lie. There are some things you can't be. I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut this as clear as we can possibly get. Salvation on your terms is impossible. I didn't say that. Yes, I just said it. It was Jesus that said it. It's impossible. Now, he even went to the top of the heap. He didn't say it was impossible for a poor man or a poor woman or a person to get into the kingdom of heaven. No, he went to the top of what their perception was. He said it's impossible for a rich man. How impossible? Just as if you could try to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, there are some that says that's, well, you know, actually, if you would liquefy a camel, this is true. This is absolutely, I'm, I'm not going to go too far down this vein, but this, if you could liquefy a camel, you could take one drop at a time and put it through the needle. It would be very persevering, very difficult, but you see the point is, if we try hard enough, we can finally get it done. That is a works program. That is a work system. Has no place in God's kingdom at all. This is impossible stuff. In fact, in the Talmud, which would be some Jewish writings, uh, they actually changed animals. It's, it's, it was a saying in that time, if you want to do something that's impossible, it would be like putting an elephant through the eye of a needle. That would have been more appropriate to the overall beginning of that saying. Jesus said it, the one was more common in Palestine, would have been, it would be like putting a camel through the eye of a needle. That's impossible. That's, that, you don't have to think hard about that, do you? It's not like if you got up really early in the morning and you put like a lot of lubricant on the camel, we could probably start to get, right? This is dumb. It's impossible. That was the message. Now, we could say, well, why would he say that about rich people? Well, actually, psychologically, it is very difficult for a rich person to get into heaven. 
I don't think that's the issue, but we'll talk about there for a moment. Why is it difficult for someone uh, that is very wealthy, that has a lot of possessions, has a lot of stuff, to literally get into heaven or have eternal life or be saved? All three of those terms are used interchangeably here. Why is that? Well, who are they depending upon? Or what? They don't need God. No, they don't need God. In fact, there's no sense of desperation. Mm -hmm. And you can't come to Jesus. Now, mark this carefully. That's what Jesus is all about as he's teaching the disciples. And here's another relevant part of that. We've just seen a very, very cool guy, really, that's come to Jesus. And he's literally in a few moments has turned away. And that's the last we know of him. Not saying he is or he isn't, but it's the last we know of him because he rejected Christ on his account. He really didn't need anything. Until you know you need a Savior, until you know that you're locked and bound in sin with no sense of life whatsoever, you will never find a Savior. You won't recognize a Savior that's literally in front of you. That young man, at that moment, made an eternal choice. Again, I'm not saying that maybe he came, maybe he was a Nicodemus that went away that night and came back and got it right. I don't, but the point of the matter is it doesn't seem that way. But if he stayed on that course, he literally made a timed decision to reject eternity. Whoa, right? Crazy stuff. It's impossible to gain salvation on your own. That's the message. That's what Jesus wants to come across. Um, first, there'd be that self-reliance. There would be that self about everything. You know, I mean, self, self, self. Self, self, self. There's no dependence on anything outside of that. That was what Jesus was getting at. That's what he was tearing that wall down, if you will, of which had been built up from all of this stuff that's gone on. Literally, if, if we were going to tear this apart, um, that young man, if he wanted anything more than eternal life, if he wanted anything more than salvation, then he would gain nothing. He would lose it all. Think of that for a moment. That goes on every day. It goes on every single day. If that young man, that rich young ruler, had kneeled before Jesus out of respect, not worship, might make... He's a very respectful young man as well. He's coming for an answer. He want, he's got a question. But if he would have wanted anything other than salvation, anything other than Jesus Christ, anything other than the way to have eternal life, he ultimately ends up losing it all. Jim Elliott had a way of saying that. Hopefully I get it right. I'll take a couple of whacks. Jim Elliott, well, a missionary that actually he was killed uh, in, the, in the Aka Indians as being a missionary in South America. He said this, he is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That literally is exactly what Jesus is saying here. All of the things that we cling to, all that society tells us is important, all of those things we wrap our arms around are things we'll never hold. If they're more important to us here, in eternity it's all gone anyway. Plus, we've missed the opportunity to have Jesus' work accomplished. Now, it's interesting. Now, let's see what Jesus says about this. There's a verse. Uh, if you're still in Mark, let's read again in verse 24. We'll start there. And the disciples were astonished at his word. He had just said, it's, hardly, it, it, it's hard for those that have riches to get in the kingdom. Then Jesus answers again. He says it even more intimately. He says, children, in other words, this is for you guys, how hard it is for them that, did you see it? Trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure, 
saying among themselves, well, who then can be saved? I mean, can you see it? They're just throwing their hands up. I mean, if that guy, if that guy can't get saved, how are we, are anyone going to be saved? That's a great question, isn't it? It's a great question. Look what Jesus says, his response. Verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 27. Jesus, looking upon them, said, with men it is impossible. Impossible for what? To gain eternal life, to be saved, or to be entering into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. Now that reminds me of another verse, doesn't it? There's another verse that said almost exactly the same. And again, would be an impossible situation. Do you guys know what I want that? Hmm. What would be an impossible situation? Something would be over the top. Now, see, sometimes this, this is something we don't come up. You've got a works program. You've got a cult that you run into. Somebody says, you know, if you just do this and this or don't do this and this, then that's how you get eternal life. That's how you get saved. That's how you really find God. That's hogwash. There's nothing you can do. I can, can, have I said that loud enough, far enough, big enough? That's exactly what Jesus is getting. He said it's impossible. It's impossible. That's right. He said it in John chapter 14, didn't he? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There's another instance which seemed really weird, right? So you're, you're struggling, aren't you? Which is just why I like you. I like you struggling because you're wondering, where is it? I can't think of it, right? So let's, let me try to just build it a little bit. Well, we have a man and a woman. Oh, that didn't help. We're not there yet, okay? And, and actually, now this is where you're going to get it. Someone came to the woman and described what was going to happen in the future in her life. Mary. There we go. I knew eventually. So here we go. Here we got Mary, this young teenage girl that's uh, espoused or engaged and literally treated as marriage in that day. When we were espoused, you were married. Even though they had not come together, they were not married. It was, it was a betrothal period. Those are terms that they were used. Very, 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 very sacred kind of a relationship. And in that, in that uh, relationship, that time, shall we say, here comes this angel and says, Mary, you're highly favored. You're highly favored. You're going to have a baby. The Holy Spirit is going to come over you. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, hmm. Hmm. So how is this going to work since I don't, have a husband. I mean, I don't know Joseph. How could this be? And you know the answer? Let's find it. Let's go to Luke chapter 1 for a moment. Luke chapter 1. It's an impossible situation, literally. Just turn over to Luke chapter 1. And uh, you've got a, if you have an impossible situation in your life, it probably isn't any more weird than that, right? Let's just start back there in uh, verse 34, Luke chapter 1, verse 34. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now that didn't help me much. If you're Mary, are you, is that, oh, well, that takes care of it all. I get it. No. Okay. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. Watch verse 37. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. Does that sound like what we just read? Yes. Just as a virgin having a baby is impossible to humans, salvation is impossible for humans. It's the same thing. 
Why do we have trouble getting that? We always have to do our part, don't we? Now, again, I'm not minimizing. After one comes to that point of saying, I need Jesus. Jesus is truly the only way that I can move on. He is the only answer to my sins. If you're born, you have a sin problem. It comes naturally. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 12. There's, there's no question about that. That's, that's not up for debate. You can watch. In fact, if someone says they don't have a sin problem, then you expect that they will never die. Right? Obituaries are still very present, present in every single page. You can get online. You can do all kinds of things. Death is the evidence that sin is present. That's the facts. See, faith is not believing something that's abstract or something we don't know anything about. No, faith is based upon reality. I talked about this some weeks ago. Oh, it's actually in the nursing home as we had a, a service for, for Bud Sylvie. The, th- the thing is, is that faith is always based on reality. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and you read the fact of the gospel, literally, that Christ died and was buried and rose again. There's at least 500 people that saw him at one time in a resurrection form. Now, if that was false, if that was untrue, he opened himself up to really just to say, that's, no, that's, that's refutable. No, it wasn't refutable. And all through this history, which, which time has not ever taken that to task, that is faith based on reality. And he died for our sins. That's a fact. That's why we can have hope in eternal life, because basically our faith is based upon reality. You all have faith right here. I'm the only one that is not exercising faith in an object. You're all sitting in a chair. You've, t- you've trusted. You didn't, I wonder if that baby's going to hold me. You know, you, you got under, ooh, ooh, it looks a little sketchy. I'm not going to take a chance on that chair today. You know what you guys did? You just blindly, with faith, trusted the chair. Or did someone actually come in and look at the integrity of the chair? If you did... <laughs> A good deal, but you still sat down because I see you did. See, you took a chance. You, you trusted that chair. You depended. You put all of your weight in that chair. That's literally what Jesus has asked this young rich ruler to do. You must put your whole trust in God. Now, he didn't know about the crucifixion. Let's be fair now. But what he did know, he responded in a negative way. Jesus said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to prove to you about who you really do worship. There's only one thing left. There's only one thing you got to do. You just have to do one thing and you can have eternal life. And I'm sure he was doing, ah, that's it. That's why I'm here. That's what I want to know. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Ah, what would that mean? That would mean he would have to change gods. Right? Now, it's interesting that Jesus used that. Now, if you go to the jailer, we went there last week for a moment. I want to make a point again. The Philippian jailer. Uh, let's get our context. Okay? Here's this earthquake. The, the jail is full of in this case, uh, yeah, criminals, or in this case, even Paul and Silas, and they're worshiping in the middle of the night. They're singing praises to God in the middle of the prison in the middle of the night. Whoa, now that's focused, right? And all of a sudden, an earthquake comes. Poof! The locks fall off, the doors are open, and guess who gets to die first? The keeper of the jail. That's his job. If anybody escapes, he's dead meat. And he's ready to actually take care of business. He's going to kill himself. And Paul says, well, stop, stop, what are you doing here? Now, you think this guy is desperate? You better believe he's desperate. Do you see the difference between the rich young ruler and the jailer that's about to take his own life because he knows his life is over when these prisoners walk out the door? He doesn't know why. He didn't do anything about it, but his life is over. Do you see desperation? You better believe. What's his question? What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you and your house. Why didn't Jesus do that with this rich young ruler? 
because there was no desperation. He did not see what the law was designed to do, was to show that he was guilty. See, that's what the law's purpose is. You can't get saved by the law. The law just shows you that you can't keep it. The jailer was past that. He's ready to cash in. He has no hope. He has nothing. He says, what do I got to do to be saved? Same question, but different, different atmosphere. And Paul answered perfectly. He said, you must trust, just as you are placing your full dependence on that chair sitting right there. It's beyond that. Everything that you have is dependent upon Jesus Christ. And that man was ready to do that. Do you see the difference? Jesus was trying to point out to this young man, you know what? You are trusting something else. And it's costing you everything. Wealth many times makes the rich poverty stricken. Oof. And then the poor disciples to see what Jesus responded. How did you let him get away? We could have used the money. This guy could give us stuff. In fact, there was the rabbis who would have felt. Have you ever heard of alms? A-L-M-S. Alms giving. That was very popular in those days. In fact, it even more proved to another level the importance of having riches. Because ultimately, there were those that wrote, Tobit was one of them, he said, alms are extremely important because they can undo wrongdoings and actually take away sins. And there's a lot of places even today that there's ways to propel those that you love. I mean, that's my word, propel. That's my word. But you get the idea that money can buy it. Money can buy spirituality. Money can buy heaven. No, that's wrong. But you see, the disciples have been taught that. They've been taught that. I'm going to make sure that you've got what we've said so far today. Uh, how easy is it to get eternal life? It's impossible. See, I was hoping you wouldn't say it was hard because it's impossible. It's impossible. There's no chance. I read a book uh, by R.C. Sproul many years ago, and it was talked about the, 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 the possibility, the chances of everything just evolving from something. Right? And he went through it. It was, pretty, it was pretty methodical. It was pretty deep. So it took me a little while. You know how I am. It takes me a while to dive through some of that stuff. But at the same time, it was interesting. We got all done. Not a chance. Not a chance of evolution being a possibility of how we are living here today. Not a shred of a chance. That's the same amount of chances that you have to be saved by yourself or any other system, any other works, any other anything. It can't be done. And that's a great place to start. Because if you don't know, if you know you can't be saved, you're looking for answers. As long as we keep saying, well, I'm better than so-and-so. And you put it on the relative scale. You know, I like those teachers that marked on the curve. I, especially if, if there wasn't really a brilliant, you know, like somebody was just knocked it, home run. Those people you wanted to remove and take to a different class. Because the rest of us, we needed to be marked on the curve, right? I took a physics class, which... I don't remember a lot about it other than that one standardized test that our teacher couldn't even get the right answers. <laughs> yeah, I like this. And he did. He actually marked in the curve. He said the high grade will be an A today. So ridiculous. It's so over the top. I'll tell you what. Keeping a pure, absolutely sinless life is ridiculously difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible. Just like a virgin having a baby without knowing a man. It's impossible. Am I getting through? That's what Jesus wanted the disciples to know. And then Peter. Here we go. Isn't it good? Oh, who can be saved? And, and Jesus says, well, really, no one by man's power. Apart from God, God can do the work. And he did. He did it through Jesus Christ. They're about to see what's going to happen to Jesus. They're astonished that he's going to Jerusalem. They know the hatred that, they, that he has and themselves being engaged in this. And he asks a question. It's a good question. It seems a little bit self-supporting, but 
he says to Jesus. You can almost see him crossing his arms now. Now, why did the rich run the ruler? What, what happened to him? His demise was what? Himself. And how, did, how do we know that? You're right, by the way. How, how, how did he des- describe that for us? Yeah, Jesus said, there's one thing. Just do one thing. Sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and you're in. Huh, he just laughed, right? Now, again, without, without incriminating any of us, that's a question we need to ask ourselves. What is really important to us? If Jesus would have asked us that question, or told us to do that, there's just one thing. I'm going to use Larry. There's just one thing, Larry, I want you to do. I want you to sell everything you have, and you give it to the poor. And then you're in. How would we respond? Or anything. You know, sometimes it's, you have those little pet things that you really do love, right? And you worship what you love. Mark that down. If you say you love something, even if you say you don't love something, what do you spend your time on exclusively? What is it that you really wrap yourselves around? That's what you worship. That tells me who your God is. You see how important this is? Sometimes we'll say we're Christian, we're following Christ, but sometimes there's things that will preempt or take place of where our God honoring, our God worship is. So Peter, so he went away, he left. He just, he left. The guy left, kept his stuff, right? For how long? How long did he keep his stuff? Until he died. That's it, it's over, it's done. So it's time, it's time sensitive. Now Peter, jumping on this opportunity, he says, Jesus, I want to get this straight. Uh, we, the disciples, have been following you around and gave up everything that we have. We had, we were, let's see, what did we have? We had a lot of gold. We had a lot. No, that's not us. We didn't have anything. Other, we were fishermen. We had boats and we had nets and families for that matter. Let's talk about that for a moment. Maybe we shouldn't. Let's, let, we'll come to it in a moment because it's in the scriptures we go. So he said, no, we've kept, we've, we've, we stayed with you. Even when it was, you know, it hasn't been fun here, Jesus, as of late. You had all of these followers, these crowds, these massive things, and you were, you were like giving speeches, and you talked about the bread of life, and they just went, whoof, and they're gone. They're gone. But we're here. We st- what do we get? What are we going to get? What are you going to give us? <laughs> and there's a part of us that says, oh, my goodness, really? Wouldn't you just, just leave that alone, right? Don't, right? But Jesus answered the question, which means he, he, he said it was a valid one. So what, it, what, what do we get? Let's look at it from, a, from another one of those passages. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19 for a moment. Matthew chapter 19, it's even maybe a little bit more explicit there in how Peter asked the question. Matthew chapter 19, in verse 27, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, after Jesus had just said, With men it's impossible, and God, with, all, with God all things are possible. Behold, we have forsaken all, and followed thee. What shall we have, therefore? What's in it for us? Have you ever had some of those moments when you've walked the line that God wanted you to walk? And you've taken the steps that you felt that he's wanted to take, and all of a sudden, it's like the rug's been ripped out from underneath of you. It's a legitimate question. What's going on here? How does this work out? Jesus responds, and we're in Matthew... He said unto them, Verily, or truly I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, we're going to come back to that word in just a moment, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now that's out there a little bit. Let's go back to Mark. Hold your place. We'll be right back. Because there's three situations of which God, Jesus is talking about. Rewards are following him. Let's go back to Mark chapter 10. Verse 
Let's read the same course that Peter responds in verse 28. Peter began to say unto him, you all there, Mark 10, 28. Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. We've given it all up. We followed you. Jesus answered and said, Verily, I, truly I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, that he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Well, that sounds just so cool, doesn't it? How many of you want to be separated from your family? That's a deep thing, isn't it? It really is. And yet today, today somewhere... I mean, I don't know where, I don't know who, but somewhere today in a land of Muslims that's, that, that worship Islam, if that person makes a decision for Christ, there's a death sentence upon them, let alone to be shunned, to be excommunicated, that's even an easy word, from their families. They will have to make a choice between Jesus Christ as being their Savior or go on with everything as it is. And leave their mother and their brother and their sisters behind. That happens. That happens. Maybe for you some of that has happened. Where the sense of Jesus Christ has been a divider. It's been a difficult thing. Uh, there are many cults within our nation itself. That when you choose to follow Jesus exclusively, the real Jesus, the one is the Son of God, the one is all God, all man, that Jesus, then you're excommunicated. You're, you're out. You're done. Is that easy? That's very difficult. Very, in fact, let's go back to a rich young ruler. If he's young and he's rich, how do you think he got it? He probably inherited it the old-fashioned way, probably. Right? What do you think if he came home and he says to his dad, I'm making this up, but you, but you, you follow what this is. This, is. this is the decision. He says, hey, Dad, you know what? I met, I met a guy today. His name was Jesus. And I asked him about eternal life. It's been bugging me for a long time because I don't think I have it. In fact, I'm sure I don't because it's bugging me. And he said something to me. I had to think about it. I thought about it on the way home. He told me to sell all my stuff, all of our stuff, because I know you're kind of part of the stuff I have. And I told him, yeah, we're going to sell it all. <laughs> How do you think Dad's thinking about that? Son, I think I'm going to remove you. We're going to get rid of you right now. Do you see what it can do? That's Jesus' pot. And let's come back to that. Anything less than God alone, you will lose it all. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus says that you will have brothers and sisters and mother and fathers. You know what happened at the church, when the church began, and Peter, this same Peter that asked this question, gave a sermon. 3,000 people were saved. They came to Jerusalem for this event. They would have come from all over the nation, literally, to come to the Passover. I'm sorry, to the Feast of Pentecost. They would have come, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter's words, was just a short sermon, literally, 3,000 were turned to Christ. Guess what happened? There were some of those people that never even went home because they would have been totally outcast because Judaism, what does it say? You can buy your way to salvation. You're rich because God made you that way. You can give alms and you can cancel sin. To go home to that, you know what? They stayed in Jerusalem. You will find that a lot of the gifts that Paul raised was sent back to the church of Jerusalem for those that were sharing houses with brothers and sisters that now became that way because they were a brother and sister in Christ. You see, God, res God responds in those difficult situations by giving you new family. Isn't it true? You can go across this country. I can, get an airport. I can get in an airplane and fly somewhere, not knowing it at all, but you can engage in a conversation. There's someone that's trusted Christ. 
guess what? There's a bond. It's right there. It's a brother or a sister in Christ. That happens right now. There's a sense of that well-being. There's this, I, I shouldn't say well-being. There's that sense of that familial, uh, fa- just that family connectedness that literally is yours when you trusted Christ. You become part of the church. And that's a family. That's a living organism. But then, now going back to Matthew, he promised something else to Peter. Now, Peter is living before Christ died. He lived after Christ died. He gave up his life. He was actually crucified upside down. Can you imagine that? I can't even comprehend that. And that's tradition. I don't know that for a fact. But the point is, he gave it all to the very end because he wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ, giving it up, forsaking it all. It was more important for him to give up what he had to gain what he couldn't lose. And then Jesus in chapter 19 of Matthew, we talked about it. He's talking about that time frame called the millennium. That's still within time. It's not eternity. It's within eternity, but it's a time phase. It's a thousand-year reign. When Jesus Christ comes back after the tribulation, which we're heading fast, we are hurtling into the tribulation. I'm not picking a date. I'm not like that. Because if I did, that would be the date it wouldn't happen, right? I'm not like that, but I can tell you this. I can see the spirit of Antichrist more prominent every single day. Every single day. It gets more wretched. It becomes more brutal. It becomes evil on steroids. There's going to come that time when the whole world will seek a false Christ, an antichrist. We're really close, really, quite honestly. But at the end of that seven years, which we have no idea how terrible that will be, we can't, I can't tell you how bad it's going to be other than trust Christ. <laughs> You've got to be way ahead. At the end of that seven years, Jesus Christ comes back. Guess who comes with him? The saints. We, those that have trusted Christ, those that have traded it all in to keep or gain what we couldn't lose. We come back at the point of the beginning of the millennium, and that's what Jesus is talking about to the disciples. There are going to be 12 tribes. 12 tribes of what? Israel. Those 12 tribes, those 12 tribes of Israel will be there in the millennium. They're going to be regained the thing they lost. They're going to see Jesus for the one that they rejected, and he's going to be there, and guess what? There's going to be 12 thrones, and those disciples, that Peter that asked that question, will be one of those on that throne, judging and governing in the millennium for that thousand years. Peter, I'll tell you what, because you forsook it all, because you're following me, not only are you going to have brothers and sisters in the church's beginning that you will be part of, literally in the millennium, which is to come. It's down the trail a bit, but you're going to be there, and you're going to be one of those that's going to be involved. You want to be, a, you want to be part of the leadership team? You want to be what I'm king, that's when it happens. And then beyond eternal life. You know, we're in every one of those pictures as well. You have a decision to make as well. Some of you have made the decision. Some of you haven't. But it's the decisions it's based on, just as Peter asked, what's in it? If I do this, if I follow you, if I'm, if I'm not like the rich, and I, and again, that doesn't, don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus did here. The rich young ruler has to trust Christ more than anything else. How Jesus had to get to him to prove that he really wasn't who he said he was. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That proved who he really worshipped. Maybe that's a question for us, but literally, you must trust Jesus Christ. You must trust Jesus Christ fully and completely. That's what it's about. That's where you have to come. And guess what? At the end of that, when it's all God's, there are blessings that you can't even imagine. You can't imagine the blessings. Your life is full, <clears throat> complete, joyous, peaceful. Now, you did notice there was another thing that came with it. I have it underlined my Bible. Should, should we go to it again? It's in Mark chapter 10. Um, it's not like it's a, because this would, be, this would not be true if it wasn't written here. Uh, or it wouldn't be complete without it being written. Mark chapter 10. And let's take a look. 
at verse 29 and 30. Let's read it again. Verse 28, we may as well, Peter began to say unto him, you know what, I don't get any of this. Uh, we've left all and here we, we followed you, so what, what are, where are we at in all of this? And he said, truly I say unto you, verse 29, there is no man that hath left house or brothers or sisters or fishing nets or fishing boats. Oh, that's not in there, but you get the idea. Or mothers, our mother or wife or children for, or lands for my sake of the gospels, which you shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children. I want to stop there for just a second. That's literally what happened at when that Pentecost, when church was begun, there were many people that held things in common. Not communism. It's not in chapter 2 of Acts. Literally, if you needed help, if you had nowhere to go, if you needed something, they supported you. They literally would give their house for you to live in if you needed that. That was really as tight a family as you could even imagine. That's what Jesus is even talking about. Okay? Then it goes on to say, and lands with, with what? persecutions. Ooh, does that happen? Every single day. Every single day. When you take a stand for Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking belligerently. We were, um, I, I erased it, but at True Seekers, we're going through a book called um, <laughs> Simple. What it, Tactics, right? I, it sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't even name the name of the book. We're just getting started in it. Um, I, Logan took them through, it's uh, been, what, a couple years ago? Three three years ago. But it's, it's about literally sharing your faith in Christ. Apologetically, that's taking a stand for Jesus Christ, but doing it in a way that's very soft and humble, meek and mild. Because if we make anyone angry, we've lost, right? I mean, you may win the debate, but lose. And it just goes on. It, 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 de- it just deteriorates. And uh, Greg Kukul is the, is the author of this book, and it's really good because he's wanting to do it in a way that is very humble and loving. Isn't that absolutely what the gospel should be? Look how Jesus did. You know, now, I, you know, if we, wait, wait a minute, you, you need to think about this. Don't run off. He let him go. But did you see, there was something there. And we didn't talk about it last week. We've talked about it before. Jesus loved him. Isn't that fantastic? And when we love somebody, it's not that we pound it down their throat. Just share the gospel. Literally. Let, let the Holy Spirit do the work. In fact, if you've come to Christ without the Holy Spirit, you haven't come to Christ. I'm sorry. It's, I'm, not, I'm not sorry. I'm glad it's that way. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Isn't that cool? Isn't it good? There's no works in it. You must be willing. You must be willing. The young man, the rich young ruler, was not willing. Any of your gifts, those of you that have, been, that have trusted Christ as your, as your Savior, you know, you have at least one spiritual gift that's yours. Not because you earned it, because God gave it to you. You know how you discover those? It will be in an area that you feel very vulnerable. You will feel very intimidated. It will be something that you know nothing about potentially, and yet that's where God gifted you. Because you know why He does that? Because then it's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about you. But you have to be willing to go in uncharted territory, somewhere where you've never been before, that feels really upsetting, potentially, but you say, you know what, I'm willing to do that. Share with you just in, in the gift that God has given me. It's hard for you to imagine, but as a senior in high school, I didn't really care about talking to anyone. I was very, very shy, very, and you say, no, 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 that can't possibly be, okay? But I was, I was just that person. I moved to Montana, and there was a guy that kind of put his arm around me. Not literally, but he was very, very outgoing. He was an extrovert. His name was Kent. 
And Kent was that guy that would just come up to you and just take over, right? He was all, he was all about us, right? And I moved to Paradise Valley, half a mile from the church. That was where I was mentored. That's where I grew. Okay, that was a place that I plugged in. The pastor was, became a great friend. Um, and it was just that, it was the place where God was really building me. And uh, it was a couple years later, and the Sunday school superintendent came to me. His name was Denny. And he said, Larry, I was just thinking about, we've got a class here. He's junior high. There's like eight boys and one girl and a, and a lady teacher, and it's just not working. They're just, the boys are just, they're just taking it over, right? And I don't know why, but I was thinking about you. <laughs> now, I, granted, I had not nominated myself. I would not even said, hey, I'm open. I could do, no, none of that. Larry just goes to church. I was not sure. You do your thing, and you go home, right? And I'm not saying I was, I was growing, but I was doing it very quietly. You don't understand what I'm saying. And so on the way home, which was only half a mile, there's this voice in the back of my head. And it says this, are you really going to pray about it? Oh, I forgot to tell you. I told Danny, yeah, I'll pray about it. Isn't that, doesn't that sound good? Sounds like it's really spiritual. Like, Danny, no, I, yeah, I'll pray about it, right? And I, like, literally, that's about as much as I was going to do. I'll pray about it. I thought about it. Oh, I don't want to do it, right? That's how it was. On the way home, are you, gonna, are you really going to pray about it? Hmm, where did that come from? So I did. I prayed about it that week. I don't know if it was every day, but I, you know, it was on my mind. I pray about it. God, is that what you want me to do? I'm like, this is not me. This is so not me. This is so not me. Came back the next Sunday. I said, Danny, I don't know if the last one week or even maybe not even one week. I don't know. Maybe it just isn't going to work. But I said, I'm willing to give it a try. That was how God exposed his gift to me. An area had nothing to give, nothing. And that's the best place to get it because then you know it's all God. And it was a matter of just like a couple of weeks, and those eight boys were just like, it was a flock as we're reading the Word of God. And it was just fun, right? That's God using the gifts that he's given you. But it's the same thing as you come to Christ. You must be willing to do it God's way. Just as the gift that will reveal to you. And there could be more than one, but I'm just saying, when you're willing to step out in what? In faith. He uses you beyond measure. And you become that brother, that sister in the Lord that happens really now that blesses those that need that encouragement, need that belonging, need all of the things that literally Jesus has promised the disciples. And one day, when you've trusted Christ, we'll be present in the millennium where there's joy and peace. It's not perfect. But talk about referring a perfect leader. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. But just to show how serious the wickedness of our heart is, the human, the human heart, those that will grow up and naturally live in that, that thousand-year reign will be born in a perfect, perfect regime. I'm saying that with great, great love because it's, it's an absolutely authoritarian, perfect place that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. And guess who's locked up? Satan and his devils. Satan and the demons are locked away, and there's no e- evil presence. Could you imagine? It's almost heaven, but not quite, because something happens. At the very end of the thousand years, literally open the gate, and out comes Satan, and literally within a matter of a very short time, guess what? Literally, as the sands of the sea, it says, they turn towards him. And then the end comes. God takes them away into judgment, and then we enter into the eternal state. And you get to be there, too. Do you see how small it is when Jim Elliott, Jim Elliott in this this world had nothing except his love for God, because he got saved. And when he said that statement, which is stuck with me, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That literally is the epitome 
of the beauty and the value of eternal life. Today, as we're gathered here today, it's Memorial Day weekend. There are many soldiers, men and women, that gave their lives so that we could gain freedom. Almost seemed to chill up my spine to know that they served a cause that was bigger than they were individually. They gave everything they had because freedom is not free. Mark that down. It is not free. We're living in a, I would say, almost a post-freedom era of America now to where our youngest generations do not understand what freedom costs. That's the message that Jesus was literally trying to get across to this rich young ruler is the law is to show that you can't keep it. The law is to show that it's not free. You are guilty. And the only way for that to happen, it's impossible for you, is literally me, Jesus Christ. I'm on my way. They hadn't seen it. But boy, do you think that cleared up when they watched their, their master, their savior, their rabbi, their son of God, their living Christ, as they describe him in multiple different places, hanging on a cross, dying a horrible, horrible death, and then to be buried, and they thought it was all over, but then to see him risen again? You think that put light and life in their backbone? You better believe it. It should for us as well. We're here because God has us here for a time such as this. You're taking life's journey at the perfect time in the place of all of time. You're not here by an accident. You're here for a reason. God is using you. He wants to use you more and more because he has you for such a time as this. Just as it reminds me of the book of Esther. Here's this young woman who becomes a queen. She's in a position, literally, that is able to, to fulfill, keep the Jews going, keep that line going. And her, her uncle Mordecai said, you're here for such a time as this. As you're gathered today on this weekend of which we celebrate, and I'm saying that carefully, quotes around it, we celebrate the lives of those that gave them for us. There was actually, I might, there was a quote, um, just a second, let's see if I got it. Here, this is actually George Patton. Quote, it is foolish and wrong to mourn the men who died. Rather, we should thank God such men lived. Isn't that true? Yes, we mourn their sorrow in our hearts to think of those that lost. Every family in this place has been affected by someone that's lost a life, our lives, pursuing, demanding, and keeping freedom. But we need to thank God for those lives, that they gave themselves for the cause of freedom. It's just like in the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ had to die. There's nothing in us. It's impossible for anyone here or anyone anywhere to have ever accessed salvation. Someone had to die. Someone had to pay the price for freedom from sin because it enslaved us. Jesus did that. It's almost a memorial day for that as well, isn't it? as we think about all of the power that God wielded, all of the fury, all of the punishment required for all of the sin that was accomplished, all on Jesus' back. And he did it for us. That young rich ruler, I still, it's just to me, I have it underlined in my Bible. He loved him. He loved him. May we do the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are king. Thank you that you have designed a perfect place for those that trust in you. 
Father, there's many things that we cling to. There's many things that cling to us. The society is full of promotion of self. Father, it's everywhere. And the further we go down this trail, the more important self becomes in our nation. But Father, it's times like this, days like this, seeing that there were men and women that gave themselves up to continue to have freedom for others. That's what Jesus Christ did. He offered himself to die for our sins, to conquer the penalty of sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we could know the righteousness of God. Father, our thankfulness rises to the highest level we can possibly comprehend because you deserve it. You are holy. You are righteous. You gave Jesus so that we could be with you. It changes us from the inside out. All of the things that Jesus Christ mentioned and discussed and literally demanded in the life of that rich young ruler is reality because of what he accomplished. Father, take us and use us wherever it is. Help us with your strength to do what you want us to do. For we look forward to the time when we will be celebrating with you in heaven. We thank you in Jesus' precious, holy, righteous name. Amen.